Have you had any good reads lately? Any good reads? Do you understand what I mean when I say a good read? Have you read something very enjoyable recently? Typically, uh, when we talk about a good read, we're not talking about a technical paper or maybe some kind of scientific documentary or not even talking about some sort of a political essay. When we talk about a good read, we usually mean something that's uh, more entertaining, maybe a, a mystery novel or, or perhaps a, uh, an action adventure, something of that nature. Have you had a good read lately? Included in the category that I would call good reads are short stories. You understand a short story. A short story is typically something that you can read in one sitting. It's not like reading a book where you have to come back to it over several days, perhaps, to get through the whole book. A short story very often can be read in just a single setting. But often they're very entertaining and, and quite enjoyable. A good short story is fine. Well, the Bible has a wonderful short story in it. And it is, by the way, what I would categorize as a good read And the short story that I have in mind this morning is the book of Esther. And we want to look at some lessons from one of the characters in the book of Esther today in our brief study this morning. Thanks for being here. We are blessed to have this opportunity to be together. And we're glad for everyone who's chosen to make a part of this. You are a part of this. You're part of what we're doing here. And we're glad that you're here and for the help that you provide to us in conducting these times of worship to God. Thanks for being here. To any and all who may be visiting with us today, thanks for coming. Please come back whenever you can and ask whatever questions you might have about what you see and hear at College View today. Thanks for being here. Let's look at the book of Esther. And I want to suggest to you that the book, of course, is named for the heroine of the story, Esther. But one of the main characters in the book of Esther is the villain of the story, and his name is Haman. And this morning we want to spend some time talking about this Haman, and we're going to call it a portrait of a wicked man. And I don't know that Haman looked anything at all like the picture you see there on the screen. We just picked one out to sort of characterize a mean-looking guy. He was an evil, wicked man. Who's the worst person that you have ever known in your life? Oh, that might be kind of a challenge to go back through your memory banks and pick out the the worst person that you think you ever personally knew. But all of us, no doubt, have known some pretty bad people uh, in the course of our lives, unfortunately. Who's the worst person that you think ever existed in history? Oh, wow, some names would come to mind, right, about terrible, historical, wicked people. I would argue that this man Haman was as bad or maybe worse than any of them. Haman truly was a wicked man. And we can see some of the things that made him so and some of the things that manifested themselves in him because he was such a wicked man. We know, for instance, that he was a man who was devious and full of schemes. You know, wicked people are that way. Wicked people are always sort of planning to do their wickedness, planning to do their evil. And this man Haman was no exception to that. One of the other characters in the book of Esther is a man named Mordecai. 
and and Mordecai had failed to show respect and reverence to Haman. Haman was a high government official, apparently. He was certainly in good with the king. And the king had bestowed special honors upon Haman. So much so that when Haman came by, you were supposed to show your respect to him by bowing down in reverence. In Esther chapter 3, and you might want to take your Bibles and turn to the book of Esther. We'll make several references there to that story. In chapter 3 of Esther at verse 1, the... After these things did King Ahasuerus promote Haman, the son of Hamedatha, the Agathite, and advanced him and set his seat above all the princes that were with him. And all the king's servants that were in the king's gate bowed and reverenced Haman, for the king had so commanded concerning him, but Mordecai bowed not, nor did him reverence. And so this Mordecai, who was a Jew refused to show that kind of reverence to Haman, and it really bothered Haman. It, it tremendously plagued him that Mordecai would not show him the reverence that he felt that he was due. And the rest of the book of Esther basically tells about Haman plotting to destroy not only the man Mordecai, but the whole nation of, of the Jews. And so he was so upset and angry that Mordecai wouldn't show him respect. He intended to take vengeance on Mordecai and all of Mordecai's people. And that's how the book sort of unfolds. And it talks of his plotting and scheming and planning to do this evil. Wicked people are devious and full of schemes. It's always been so. And it is still so. In our day and time, we believe that wicked men still have their schemes that they plot. In the reading that Alan read for us earlier from Proverbs chapter 6, you know this text very well. The six things that the Lord hates, seven are an abomination to Him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood. Notice, a heart that devises wicked plans. Feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness that breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brethren. And so God is aware that there are people in this world, wicked people, who scheme constantly about the, 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 the evil that they intend to do. Mordecai was such a man, but as we said, there are still plenty of people like that today. It's sad to say that we're probably in regular contact with some such people who would do evil anytime they got a chance and even make plans and intentions to carry out that evil. In the book of Micah, chapter 2, verse 1, Woe to those who knows who devise wickedness and work evil on their beds. When the morning dawns, they perform it, because it is in the power of their hand. You know, we actually have a sort of an expression here. They, they lay awake at night, thinking up things that they can do. That's what Micah is saying here, chapter 2, verse 1. They devise wickedness and work evil on their beds. In other words, they're, they're scheming. Here's where they do their planning. Here's where they do their thinking. How they can work this evil. And then when the morning comes, they get busy and do what they planned to do as they lay in their bed at night scheming. And so Haman certainly falls into that category of a wicked man who was devious and full of schemes. Wicked men in our time are that same way. It's just characteristic. Obviously, God has called us to a higher plane, to a better level of commitment and performance. And so... Hopefully, that does not describe us. And, and, and if, if you see in that any indication that you yourself might 
do that sort of thing, obviously, you got to quit that. I don't think that really describes us, thankfully, but evil men are that way. Now, some of these other descriptions maybe get a little bit closer to home. Haman was a wicked man who was full of wrath and easily angered. Look at chapter 5 of Esther. In Esther chapter 5, verse 11, Haman told them, that is his family and friends, Haman told his family and friends of the glory of his riches, the multitude of his children, all the things wherein the king had promoted him and how he advanced him above the princes and servants of the king. So he describes his success, all the good things that had happened to him. Skip down to verse 13. He says, yet all this availeth me nothing so long as I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate. Isn't that something? Uh, despite all his, his success and advancement, he couldn't get past the slight that Mordecai had committed against him. All of this good stuff is happening, but he is just, what, what's the expression that we use? He's eaten up with this anger and wrath. Uh, it, how easy it would have been to look the other way and not even acknowledge Mordecai, but this was just tearing him, him up. You know, anger and wrath does that to people. It just eats you up from the inside out. And Haman is a pretty good example of that sort of thing. And the lesson to take away is, although we don't, certainly we don't think that we're in the category of a man like Haman, we got to be careful about anger and wrath and allowing that to tear us up. In James chapter 1, verse 19, it says, Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Here's the reason why that's so important. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. When you're full of wrath and anger, then you are not going to be doing the things that God intends for you to be doing. It's going to keep you from being the person that God wants you to be and engaging in the things that God wants you to engage. Be careful about allowing anger and uncontrolled wrath and rage. In Psalm 37, verse 8, Cease from anger, forsake wrath, do not fret. It leads only to evil doing. Notice. Cease from anger, forsake wrath, don't fret. Why? Because you allow that to go on in your life, it's going to lead. The only thing that, the only thing that comes of that is evil doing. Nothing good results from uncontrolled anger and wrath. Now, that's a challenge for people. And I think it's a challenge for a lot of us as Christians. We need to be on our guard about that because bad comes from allowing that to abide in our heart. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 8, but now you also put them all aside. Anger and wrath, malice, slander, abusive speech from your mouth. And so, as the people of God, this should not be characteristic of us. Uh, the, the story of Esther is ancient. But the problem of anger and wrath is still current. It still persists. And we need to be aware of that. This, this wrath and anger is going to ultimately destroy Haman, and it can destroy us too. We need to be careful about it. Haman was a man who was infected with pride. Uh, here's sort of an interesting backstory in the broader short story of Esther. It, it seems that the case was that Mordecai, the, the Jew who would not respect Haman, 
Mordecai had actually, sometime in the past, had acted in a way to prevent an assassination plot against the king. There were a couple of people close to the king who were, who were going to assassinate him. And Mordecai found out about it, and he tipped the king off, and it, and it prevented the assassination. And that got written down in the king's annals. You know, they were, they were very much about keeping records of, of things that happened. And this, and this act of Mordecai was written down in the history of the king. Well, one night the king couldn't sleep. And so he, he broke out his history books, histories of his own deeds. And so he broke out the history books and he got reading it. And he came to this section, this fellow named Mordecai. And how he had very literally saved the king's life and prevented the assassination. And so that's where you read this in chapter 6. Again, this is just sort of a little bit of a side note, but it's, it, it's almost comical how this unfolds. And so in chapter 6, notice at verse 6, Haman came in and the king said to him, What shall be done unto the man whom the king delighteth to honor? So now if you start right, the king's talking about Mordecai. He hadn't said so. He just read that Mordecai saved his life. And, and so he, he asked Haman, What should I do to the man that I, that I uh, delight to honor? Notice this. Now Haman thought in his heart, to whom would the king delight to do honor more than to me? He must be talking about me. He wants to show special to honor. So who would he like to honor more than me? I'm the most honorable guy around. I'm the greatest. Surely he's talking about me. And so notice how Haman answers. Haman answered the king, For the man whom the king delighteth to honor, let the royal apparel be brought, which the king useth to wear, and the horse that the king rideth upon, and the crown royal which is set upon his head. And let this apparel and horse be delivered to the hand of one of the king's most noble princes, that they may array the man with all whom the king delighteth to honor, and bring him on the horseback throughout the streets of the city, and, and proclaim before him, Thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delighteth to honor. Now, then the king said to Haman, Make haste. And take the apparel and the horse that thou hast said, and do even so to Mordecai the Jew, that sitteth at the king's gate, let nothing fail of all that thou hast spoken. Oh, wait a minute. Man, what a, what a terrible backfire here. He thought that the king was talking about him. I want to honor somebody. What should I do? So Haman said, well, surely he's talking about me. So Haman says, well, do all this special stuff. king said, you are right, Haman. I like that that you just said. You do it to Mordecai. Oh man, that, that just, that was all the worst. But what we see in that example is clearly, uh, he was full of pride. Uh, and the way he reacted to the king's initial request shows that he was. Surely pride is a problem of wicked men. Pride is a great problem. In Proverbs chapter 16, verse 18, pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. We're going to see that in the case of Mordecai. His pride is going to destroy him. In Proverbs chapter 26, verse 12, do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? There's more hope for a fool than for him. Psalm chapter 10, verse 4, the wicked through the pride of his countenance will not seek after God. He is not in all his thoughts. Notice, here's the wicked man, 
wicked man. He has pride. What does that cause? He will not seek after God. That's the problem with pride, isn't it? Now, I want to tell you that this is not a thing that we're exempt from. And I think all of us have got to be on guard against pride because, again, having that in our heart keeps us from being the kind of people God wants us to be and doing the kind of things that God wants us to do. Don't let pride ruin your life like it ruined Haman's life. He was a wicked man who was infected with pride. Let me suggest to you that he was, as a wicked man, driven by the love of money. So his plot effectively involved bribing the king to allow the annihilation of the Jews. That's what he wanted. He wanted the annihilation of the Jews. And so this is a little bit curious how this unfolds, but it seemed like he was bribing the king in order to allow this to happen. Look in chapter 3 at verse 9. Chapter 3, verse 9. If it please the king, let it be written that they, the Jews, may be destroyed. And I will pay 10,000 talents of silver to the hands of those that have the charge of the business to bring it into the king's treasuries. So it, it, it sounds like he's willing to pay this huge ransom, this huge sum of money to the king if the king will allow him to order the annihilation of the Jews. I'd tell you, if you do a little calculating on how much he's offering, this was, this was an incredible, almost unimaginable amount of money that he was willing to says, pay into the king's treasury. It says that it was, uh, that he was going to pay into the king's treasury 10,000 talents of silver. By conservative estimates, a talent was 75 pounds. He's offering 75 pounds of silver times 10,000. That is, if, if I calculated that right, that's 375 tons of silver that he's offering to pay into the king's treasury. Richard, you can check me up on this, but if I, if I figured it right, I think it would take 15 triaxle loads to haul 375 tons. 15 triaxle loads of silver is how much that he was offering to pay into the king's treasury. Why would he do that? Well, one, one of the reasons he did it, because he hated the Jews that bad. But I would argue that what he thinks is he's going to get more than that back as they plundered the Jews, when they annihilated the Jews and took everything they owned. Haman would end up richer in the end than he was in the beginning. I don't think he's the kind of guy, a guy who would just graciously turn over incredible amounts of wealth you got to believe he probably thinks that in the long run, this is going to work out to his financial advantage even more so. All of that goes to this idea of being driven uh, by, the, word, the, by the, the love of money. A famous statement in the Word of God is 1 Timothy 6, verse 10. For the love of money is the root of all evil which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. We often have pointed out it's not money itself, it's the love of money, and it's the root of all evil. It sure was, it sure was involved in this story, wasn't it? And what does it do? 
it pierces many through with sorrows. So it just doesn't work. Haman, as a wicked man, had to learn that lesson uh, the very hard way. He seemed to be compelled by the love of money. Jesus says why this is a problem. Why is the love of money? Why is being covetous? Why is being driven for money? Why is that a problem? Jesus answered that in Matthew 6, 24. No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, else he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. You can't do it. Jesus said it's not. You can't. He didn't say it'd be hard to serve God and money. He says you cannot serve God and money. If money is your driving force, you will not serve God. Uh, and so that is the problem. Haman seemed to have that problem. Certainly, we've got to be on guard against it. As we live in this materialistic age, the present materialistic age, we, we definitely have to be on strong guard against the love of money. Haman, finally, was ruined by listening to the wrong people. We talk a lot about the dangerous influence of the wrong kind of people in our lives. And I don't think we can talk enough about it. I mean, the danger of having the wrong kind of people in our lives who are influencing us by the things they do, by the things they say, and by trying to incorporate us into those activities is a tremendously dangerous thing. And we can be ruined by listening to the wrong people. Haman certainly was. Look in chapter 5, Esther chapter 5, verse 14. Then said Zeresh, his wife, and all his friends unto him, Let a gallows be made of fifty cubits high, and tomorrow speak unto the king that Mordecai may be hanged thereon. Then go thou in merrily to the king to the banquet. So, what should his friends have told him about Mordecai? His wife and his friends, if they were good counselors, they would have said, listen, Haman, get over it. Put that behind you. Don't even think about that. It doesn't matter. Look how successful you are. You've got everything going for you. Don't let this one guy tear you up. Get over, forget it, move on. No, they didn't do that, right? They're bad counselors. They're giving him bad advice. What do they tell him to do? Build a gallows 50 cubits high. If we understand a cubit to be about 18 inches or a foot and a half, build a gallows 75 feet tall. I'm going to tell you, if you're going to hang a man, you don't need a gallows 75 feet tall. This was just all for show and pretense, wasn't it? Build this enormous gallows and then go into the king and, and, and ask that Haman be hanged on the gallows. Instead of telling them, get over it and forget about Mordecai, forget about the slight that Mordecai has... Instead of telling him what he should have heard, they fed this corruption in his heart. He listened to the wrong people and it ultimately ruined him. You know, you know the end of the story. You know that Haman himself ended up being hung on the gallows that he built for Mordecai. What about us? Proverbs 13, verse 20. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. If you are a companion of foolish people who are not serving God, you will. doesn't say you might. It says you will suffer harm. Be careful about those kinds of associations. In Psalm 1, beginning verse 1, Blessed is the man who 
walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of the sinners, or sits in the seat of the scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. This is the blessed man. Blessed is the man who does not allow those evil associations to influence him. In Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 24, the prophet bemoans the state of, of God's people as they were being punished for their corruption. He said, they did not obey or incline their ear, but walked in their own counsels and the stubbornness of their evil hearts and went backward and not forward. They wouldn't listen to God, but instead they walked in their own counsels. They followed the advice of wicked people, their own hearts, instead of submitting to God. And of course, it brought complete and ultimate destruction. All right, there's a portrait of a wicked man, Haman. Again, I don't think that Haman probably looked like that picture. Nobody knows, of course, what he looked like. But we know he was certainly a wicked man, and we know some of the characteristics that were in him, that were manifested in him, some of the things that drove him to finally his death. It's an old story, but I would suggest to you that these things are often repeated, have been since then, and are still being repeated today, and it could be us. And there's some lessons for us to take away. I, I, I think when you, well, maybe when you heard the title, Portrait of a Wicked Man, you know, well, well I'm not a wicked man. I, uh, maybe I don't even need to listen to that. Well, certainly, we're not wicked like Haman. But there are some things there that were in him that could be in us that we need to be on guard about. Learn a lesson. Obviously, this kind of lesson is not learn and imitate this character this lesson is learn and avoid that in our lives today. Thanks for listening. We're going to sing a song of invitation. As we sing this song, if you need help making your life right with God, we hope you'll let us know. If that involves obeying the simple gospel plan of salvation, please do that. Hear, believe, repent, confess, be baptized for the remission of sins. If you're a Christian already, but you've fallen back not faithful to your Lord, come back to Him in repentance, confession, and prayer. If we can help, let us know while we stand and sing this song.